Hello, this is episode number 39 of How to Hold a Pencil. My name is Ruben Ingbert, and I'm your host. How to Hold a Pencil is a show about learning and how mostly self-taught developers and designers got where they are today. My apologies for the few weeks off. It's been a hectic to say the least, but I'm back with a few episodes already recorded and many more to come. If you enjoy the show, please take take a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes. I can't tell you how helpful those are. This week, I spoke with Charlie Park of If This Then That, also known as IFT, about learning Ruby on Rails, side projects, living in a tech hub, using CodePed to learn, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here now is my interview with Charlie. Uh, welcome, Charlie. I'm so glad you could join me uh, on this episode of How to Hold a Pencil. And for the people who don't know who you are, why don't you tell the listeners at home a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm So I'm a Rails and front-end engineer at IFT, which a lot of people know is If This Then That or IFTTT. And um, I've been here for about a year and a half. And before that, I was running my own uh, – I had my own – it's always difficult to find the right words for it because it wasn't really a startup, but it was a web-based subscription software business. And I ran that for about six years. And um, I've been doing web stuff in general for about 15 years or so, various uh, in-house positions and then doing my own thing. And then now on a team of other engineers and focusing on front-end stuff. Very cool. So 15 years ago, that's, you know, the web has changed uh so much since then what's your first memory of the web yeah well I, my first first memory goes back even further i i when i was a little kid my dad had gotten sort of it was kind of like the local equivalent of aol it wasn't really aol but it was like it and i remember we got it and it wasn't very good there just wasn't a lot of content on the web at the time and this i i'm a little scared to say when this would have been but it would have been <laughs> early 90s late 80s maybe um so before i was born (laughs) yeah like a long time (laughs) and um and it just wasn't very good so we even got we got rid of it we did we we had it for i don't even know how long and we got rid of it um then i was sort of unaware of the web in general uh began using again in high school and then really began getting into it in college where i began actually making stuff for the web. And that was when it got interesting. That was when it became a thing for me. And back then it was the, the learning curve was pretty gentle. It was, um, you would go to a website. This is all on, you know, on a windows machine on, you know, uh, whatever. I don't even remember what browser it was, but whatever browser it was, you would save a page to your local machine and then you would, monkey with it you would just mess around um kind of like what you do with web inspector now when you're trying to debug something or figure out what's going on except you just have a local copy of the of the website on your on your computer you'd mess around background red etc and uh see what you did and then just keep keep fiddling with stuff until it did what you wanted to do so there was a lot of stuff like that it was it was a very um uh it was a simpler a simpler time um, but it was also a lot of fun to, to mess around with stuff. Very cool. So obviously messing around is probably the singular piece of advice that I give to a lot of new developers. I say, you know, just get in there and start toying with things. Yes. But what type of tools did you use, tools or books or that type of stuff did you use to sort of learn 
to expand those skills like you can only messing around only takes you so far so like how did you sort of make the jump from there to sort of ruby on rails and all that other stuff that you're you're working on now yeah absolutely so there were um there were kind of two phases of my development one was just doing basic html very early css css was just getting started at this time um getting involved in that and then the second phase was when i got into actual uh back-end development rails programming some php stuff like that and um yeah, back in the day, there it was kind of like today in that there were people wanted to share what they learned. So people would mess around with stuff and then they would share stuff. And this was even before blogs were a thing, but there were articles online where people would write about different techniques and things that they were doing. Um, some of them were academics or they were university websites where people were saying, uh, you know, if you are a university you know, you're a professor and you want to get your class notes online. Here's how you do it. Um, some of it was that. Um, but then some of it was for early web designers. So there was one resource that I loved called WebMonkey. And I just looked and it's actually still online, although it's in a slightly different, slightly different context and slightly different format. But, um, you know, there were articles there about here's how to use an iframe or here's how to use, you know, here's how to use these different new technologies. So it was a lot like today in that people were sharing things. It's just that the, what they were sharing was a lot more rudimentary, both in terms of what they talked about and in terms of how they talked about it. So nowadays you have, you know, uh, people have video series and there are interactive programs online where you can convert, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when, pe- when CoffeeScript was getting started, you could convert JavaScript to CoffeeScript on the fly and see how it looked. We didn't have any of that. But there, it was the same idea. People wanted to help one another get better at what they were doing. And it was really, it was awesome. Very cool. So obviously uh, the web community is, is an amazing and helpful tool to anybody learning. But, you know, as you're learning, you're always going to hit roadblocks. Um, sort of what type of roadblocks did you hit uh, in the early stages? And what type of roadblocks do you hit even today that you sort of, you know, what type of roadblocks are they? And, what, and how do you overcome them? That's a great question. So yeah, I had a lot of roadblocks, especially when I started to get into programming, when I started to get into Rails, uh, what I found that was difficult, especially was that it was moving so fast. It was, there was, you would read a tutorial about how to do something and you would try it out and it wouldn't work. And you would have to say, okay, why didn't it work? Was it because I wrote the code wrong or was it because the framework has moved along so that this is now outdated? This doesn't work. It it broke something. You know, I followed the instructions correctly, but something didn't, what I wanted to see didn't happen. That was really tough, really frustrating. Um, And now I'll talk about the frustrations and then I'll talk about how to deal with them. Um, And then another frustration I had was that it was very tough finding people who were in the same spot as I was. Um, I was in a, at the time I lived in a rural area in Virginia and it was a great place. There was a lot going for it, but there was no web community. And so you can only, I felt like I could only impose on people online to a certain amount before I was being a bother. And so that was frustrating too. Nowadays, frustrations, one of the things I find really difficult is there are, the process has gotten so complex and there are so many 
steps in build tools and you know um do you want to use grunt or gulp or some other build tool to prepare things beforehand or if you're using rails do you even need that because of asset pipeline stuff so there's this embarrassment of riches and parsing through it and figuring out okay in my context what makes the most sense what do i need to use and how do i just get something built that's fundamentally that's the frustration is i want to build something i have an idea of how i want it to go and now there's something preventing me from doing it. And that's, that's awful. And so I think, I think finding people that you can talk with about that, either in person or online, if you can find them, some kind of community, um, and then finding resources that break things down into their smallest components. I, I think um, Railscast was great. I think Chris Oliver's Go Rails is phenomenal now. I was so glad that you had him on the show a couple episodes back. Um, I think Code School is really good. I think there are a number of different uh, online resources that uh, people can use for those technical advancements. Then there's also strategic advancements where you have to say, what tool should I use or what language? And that's always a bigger question that um, almost you have to mess around with stuff and experiment to get through it. And then the final thing that I think is awesome in terms of hitting roadblocks and moving past it is I'm a huge, huge believer in side projects. So anytime there's something new that you want to learn, just do something small, do something on the side, open up a code pen and mess around with something. And if you figure something out, write a blog post and share it. I'm terrible at actually sharing the stuff that I learned, uh, but I think it's awesome when people do that, when they say, oh, here's this thing that I, you know, I, I wanted to make these two columns equal height, regardless of whether the left, con left column or right column had more content. Okay, great, Flexbox. Okay, here's how, here's how I did it. I think it's awesome when people can do that. Yeah, I think sharing uh, is so important, and it's actually something that I'm starting to work on, uh, not in a blog form, but in the podcast form, uh, which is something, which is something that's coming soon. I'm working on something cool. Um, but uh, I was recently, uh, before we get to that, so you talked about roadblocks and how you get through them and stuff like that, but you mentioned something about uh, figuring out what languages to use and stuff like that. And I think for people coming to the web at the beginning, that's a really hard thing to figure out. You know, like, where should I get started? There's so many things you hear about. I mean, even in my own experience, when I was first getting started, I took a, you know, one month Ruby class. I took, you know, all different things and I couldn't really figure it out until I, you know, I settled on the front end, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And that's really where my, where my bread and butter is. How does somebody, how do you suggest somebody go about figuring out, uh, where they should sort of get their start? Mm, that's another awesome question. I think, so one thing that I have going for me is that while I'm generally an optimist, I'm also really <laughs> complainy. Like I, I have opinions about how things should be. Like, oh, this should be this way. Or this, why isn't this easier to use? And I think that if you can, e even if you're not an optimist, even if you're a cynic and a pessimist, whatever, as long as you have things that you think could be better, it's great because especially with front end stuff, you can work to make them better. And maybe it's just a little bit of JavaScript and you can play with that. Um, like for example, there's something I've been wanting to do recently and I haven't actually had the time to do it, but I like reading medium posts. This is, I'll go off on a tangent. I love typography. I love design and, and things that are well laid out. I think medium does a great job of this most of the time. Sometimes they'll have, a um, 
a pull quote, which is like a little bit of text that's repeated at a larger font, a larger type size so that you can, your eye goes to it. And it might be a quote, it might be a, just a clever line from the piece. And it'll wrap to two lines, and the first line will be really long across the page. It'll have a really wide measure. And then it'll wrap, and there'll be like two words on the second line. And it's like, oh, that, that just looks ugly. I'd love for those to be balanced. Well, with JavaScript, you can do that. You can fix that. And I, um, so I think for people in terms of figuring out where they should work or what they should do, or they should look at what bugs them, what, what they think could be better. Even if they don't know how to make it better, what do they think should be better? And then figure out, okay, well, how do I, how do I go about doing this? Because when you have a practical problem that you want to solve, it's easier to avoid the road traps of, or the, the, the sort of the friction of, well, I have to build this the best possible way. Because often you just want to get it built. You just want to say, okay, let's solve this thing. And so you might, in a purist sense, say, well, I don't want to use jQuery. I just want to, I want to learn exactly how JavaScript works or, you know, ES6 works. And so I'm going to do it that way. But if you really just want to get the thing built and get the problem solved, you can build a quick throwaway prototype, solve the problem, write a blog post about it, and then you move on and you've learned something. And so I think ultimately what it comes down to is people should figure out what bugs them, what bothers them, and what they think should be better. And then build a very small, build the smallest thing possible to solve their own problem. So if, if you're bugged by um, tracking your time, you know, you, you aren't great at tracking your time, build a very small tool that helps you do that and use what you know to move forward. And sometimes you'll learn a lot and sometimes you'll learn a little, but hopefully you'll both get your problem solved and you'll learn something in the process. And that's, that's what I've done with almost all of my projects. Um, and that, that thing that I mentioned that I ran for six years, this, the web-based uh, business, that spun out from me solving my own problem, scratching my own itch, and then sharing that with people, getting good feedback from people. They said, oh, this is actually really useful. And I kept going from there. And that's what, that's what led me into Rails. It, having that frustration was... I solved the problem, honestly, I solved the problem with Excel. The very first, it, was, it, was a, it was a personal finance tool. And the very first way that I solved it was it with Excel. And people gave me feedback and I iterated and iterated and iterated. And I wasn't trying to make it a business. I was giving it away. I was like, hey, this worked for me to get my personal family budget in order. Have at it. And then eventually people were writing in like, oh, this is so great, so useful. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's terrible, it's terrible. If only I had a database behind this, if only I had a web framework that could make this work, I could require so much less from the user and give them so much more. And so that's what then led to Rails and that's what then led to me doing that for six years and it was awesome. And then that led me to where I am now. So ultimately, I think it all comes back to side projects and well, I guess even before that, being being grumpy <laughs> having having opinions about how things should be and how they should be better very cool so you also mentioned uh, a little bit a little while ago in the interview uh about finding a community uh 
and I was recently looking for a new job, as you know, and fortunately, that was very short-lived, uh, but you emailed me while I was looking, uh, and you said I, you, you didn't know that I lived in New York, uh, and you said I should consider moving uh, out to San Francisco, um, and I think you, what you were really saying is that you want, you think that I should live in a tech hub, uh, whether that's New York, San Francisco, Chicago, D.C., there's a, you know, most major cities you can find a community. Um, why do you believe new developers should move to one of these major, you know, technology, you know, technology hubs? Yeah. yeah. So moving to, uh, moving to a city and, and you're totally right. The, the goal there is not necessarily San Francisco. There's nothing magic. Well, okay. So there's a, a guy named Merlin Mann. A lot of people know him. And there's something that he said that I like a lot. He said, Someone was asking him about San Francisco and said, oh, you must have coffee every day with amazing people and it must be this wonderful place. And he said, you know, San Francisco, there, there's, no, there's no magic treehouse. There's not a place where people just go and have a clubhouse and hang out and be awesome together. But what is awesome about being in a place where there are other people is that you can much more easily have conversations about the work you're doing, the things you're learning about, the areas you need to grow. It's uh, this week is has been a little bit different from most weeks, but uh, even this week I was able to go to a great uh, meetup, a SaaS meetup called the Mix In here in San Francisco. That was phenomenal. It was fantastic. Then yesterday I was able to go to lunch with the user experience team for Wikimedia, and that was awesome. And there was one other thing randomly that you know someone came by the office here for lunch and we had a good conversation, and that was that was awesome. And it's not that that sort of thing happens every day or every week, but it can happen. You can have those opportunities to meet with people. And so, especially when people are early in their career, they're young developers, I think maximizing those opportunities for lucky interactions is great. And I think the more that you can do that, the better. Um, The reason I moved out to San Francisco myself was uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you had this, you know, you had your independent thing, you were your own boss, you know, you had done it for six years, well, wasn't that great? And in my case, it was great, but it was also really lonely. And I really wanted to be in an environment where I could have invigorating conversations with people about the decisions we were making, about the code we were writing. How do we do this? What are the best practices? How can we apply this new technique or this new approach? Um, have conversations about, you know, object-oriented CSS. I, I hesitate to say versus BEM, but how do we, you know, these different approaches, what makes sense? How do we move forward? How do we do things in the best possible way? And so I think figuring out ways, whether that's actually moving to a place, great. If you can do that, great. If you can't move, you have family, you have other obligations that mean that you have to stay in an area, that's okay. What are things that you can do? Maybe go to a conference. Maybe go to your nearest city's meetup when they have it. Maybe you can start a meetup, but that's always difficult. But maybe you can figure out some way to connect with people. So, yeah, what it comes down to is how can you have conversations with people who are passionate about the things that you're passionate about? And how can you find ways to have those lucky lucky interactions? Very cool. So... I want to change gears just a little bit here and uh, go back to side projects. Um, I think they're so important. I think it helps you build skills. Just like you said, 
you know, you're scratching your own itch, so your desire to finish and your desire to push through um, is great. But I think a lot of people will build something and they won't share it or they, you know, they don't think it's great or whatever. How did you build the confidence to build anything, whether it was the spreadsheet or blip note, which I think is really cool? Uh, how did you build the confidence to build those things and then keep pushing forward to keep iterating and making them better uh, and making yourself better in yeah, turn? That's awesome. Um, I think it's very easy, especially when you haven't put something out there before, um, or even if you've put one or two things out there, it's very easy to say, I want to be impressive. I want to, and it's totally natural. I want to blow people away with what I've got and what I've done. And I think a big part of it is to try to fight back against that, try to have very low expectations about what the thing that you're doing is going to accomplish or the attention it's going to garner. Um, Do things that you're passionate about and go back to that idea that I had earlier about being grumpy and just solving your own problem. I think if you are concerned about people finding it, oh, oh, is this going to, you know, I, w- I want to time it just right so that Hacker News blows it up, or I want to get positive feedback on Reddit about this thing. I think ultimately make something that you yourself are happy with and then put it out there and Hopefully people will find it and find it useful, but if they don't, that's okay because you've still benefited from this thing that you've made and you still learned in making it. Um, it's, it's, you know, the truth is that a lot of the things that people make and that people look at and think are impressive are just iterative advancements on their own skill set and and like blipnote for example you mentioned blipnote and i'll talk very briefly about that that's a a a one-page website that i made and it is an easy way to email yourself notes and that's all it does it just it there's a, a two form fields your email address and a text box you type a note in type in your email address hit send and then it sends you an email and it's so that you can very quickly Send yourself a note without having to log into email and everything else. Getting sidetracked by your inbox, all of that. And I, you know, the truth is, I think it maybe sends out 10 emails a month. Like, it's, it is, it is so <laughs> not an impressive, like, from a, from a user adoption standpoint, it is not super impressive. But it solved the problem that I had, and so I love it. And it, it kind of bubbles along and does its thing and it's just maybe 10 is a, maybe I'm sandbagging a bit but it's certainly not this technical marvel where it's doing all this work it's uh it's a very modest project but it solves the problem that I had and it's still a very cool project I've been playing with it for a while and it's it's definitely awesome. helpful awesome well, I'm, I'm glad I'm <laughs> glad it's uh see and this is this is the exact this is a, a great case study because I built it for me I told you about it you found it, you found it useful, you started using it. If you like it and keep using it, cool. Maybe you'll tell other people it's now on the podcast. Um, <laughs> and maybe it'll become something. But if it doesn't, that's okay. That's, that's totally okay. And so I would just encourage people, especially when they're getting started, to just make throwaway things. You know, open up CodePen. I love, I don't want to say I hate CodePen because I love it so much, but 
I think <laughs> one of the dangers of CodePen is that they highlight these ridiculous projects that are so like people that do stuff in CSS and JavaScript that are that's is just mind blowing and it's ridiculous. And I, if I were starting out and I saw that, I think I would be more intimidated than inspired because I would say there is no way that I can do that. That is, and and I'll put this out there now. Even fifteen years in, even as you know. An engineer who's been doing this a lot, the majority of the stuff that's put on the front page of CodePen, no way could I do it. And that's okay. That's that's totally fine. Um, but I think that people should just, you know, create a, a new CodePen, mess around with stuff. If it's helpful, tweet it, tweet it out. Let people know about it. Um, in fact, I'm going to do that right now. I, I did a CodePen a couple days ago to mess with Flexbox. The, in fact, it was the exact column balancing thing I mentioned earlier in the in the episode and I'm going to send a tweet out about that just because why not it's it's you know if someone benefits from it cool if not that's okay too very cool so you've worked on a bunch of side projects and you're working on some really cool stuff at ift uh what's your favorite project that you've worked on I would say so I love blipnote we've already talked about that a bit I love blipnote blipnote mainly because of how simple it is it is literally one HTML file and and it connects to a MailChimp API and that's it. It just it it lives. I don't have to babysit it. I don't have if I want to make it better, you know, I, I went in this week to make it a little bit more accessible for people with vision impairments. And um and so I can make Very it better. Cool. But I can also just let it sit and I don't have to worry about the server falling over. Um so I, I like the simplicity of that one and the sort of the purity of that one. I also I also like um, the the thing that I did for six years. It's called Pair Budget. Although I'm afraid that people will go visit it because I haven't updated the the code or the main <laughs> in a long time, and so it really looks bad. But I promise I promise not to okay, link to it in the show notes. Thank you. It's, <laughs> um, it's I'm I'm doing an overhaul. I'm rebuilding it from the ground up. I'm really excited about it. Um, but it's as with everything, it takes longer than you think it's going to. Um, but I sure. think that one, just what that allowed me to do and to uh, be independent for many years and to have that opportunity, that was really cool too. Very cool. So in the last couple of minutes that we have together, if you could go back to yourself at the very beginning um, when you first started development, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I, would, I would say probably be cheerfully grumpy because that's getting back to everything we've talked about today like I think everything comes back to saying this is really cool but it could be a lot better and just that cycle this is really cool could be a lot better this is really cool could be a lot better and that positive affirmation both of other people's work and your own work so with other people's work oh why isn't there a um project tracking tool that does X, Y, and Z. This is cool, but it could be better. I'm going to do it on your own code. Oh, I made this website, um, but it's not as accessible as it should be. It's cool. It could be better. I'm going to do it. And just looping, going through that loop again and again and, and have fun, have fun with it. Um, it's a great, a great time. 
Very cool. Uh, do you have three people you'd recommend on Twitter? I do, as it turns out. Um, so the, there are three people that I think are doing amazing. Well, there's a ton of people doing amazing stuff, but there's three people who I think are really doing cool stuff. One of them is, uh, her name is Joni Trithal, and that's J-O-N-I-T-R-Y-T-H-A-L-L. She is doing some amazing stuff with SVG and Flexbox, and I think people should totally be following her. Um, another one is uh, a front-end engineer at IBM, and her name is Una Kravitz, and she's just, on Twitter, she's Una, U-N-A. She's awesome and writing about some really cool stuff. And then in New York, uh, and you should find a way to meet her if you, if you haven't yet, um, but Claudina Sarahe, and her Twitter account is It's Miss C-S, I-T-S-M-I-S-S-C-S. And she does a lot of uh, front-end meetup stuff, SaaS uh, stuff in New York City, and is awesome. And I think those, uh, like on Twitter, most of my tweets end up being really dumb, like dad jokes and... <laughs> the are like here's this cool library I'm playing with or here's this cool thing that I'm doing and so I love I love what they are doing very cool so uh, what does the future hold for you you know like what are you working on what's what's down the road yeah kind of well I'm, I've really been really interested in accessibility in the last um, in the last little bit it's always been something in the background but uh, last fall um, I went uh, home to my parents' house and was helping my dad with his taxes, and he was using some tax program. And he has macular degeneration; his eyes are are not as good as they used to be. And it was so frustrating um, sitting alongside him as he was going through this process because the site the sites he was using just were not very friendly; they were not very usable. And I think that. There's been a classic, in, in my mind, I'll, I'll say this for myself, it's been, oh, my users are either gonna be fully sighted or blind. And so I'll have alt text and I'll follow those sorts of protocols. But I realized that there's this wide spectrum in the middle where people have vision problems or other issues, cognitive problems, things where designing the site differently, not just technically designing it, but uh, interface design, usability design, you can make it so much better. And so I've been really thinking through that a lot recently, and I'm really hoping that uh, I can do that more with my personal projects and with my work at IFT to make it uh, even more usable by everybody. Very cool. And the final question, uh, where can people find you on the internet to hear some really good really, dad jokes? That's what they want. Charlie Park. Twitter.com slash Charlie Park. That's me. Oh, awesome. Uh, Charlie, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. So appreciate the time. Hope, Hope you have a great day. You too. There you have it, folks. Uh, once again, I want to thank Charlie so much for being on the show. Uh, I can't tell you how great of an interview that was and how great of a conversation I had with him. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please take a minute to rate and re- review the show on iTunes. Like I always say, those are so important, and I really hope you're enjoying it. Let me know. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Ruben Ingber. That's R-E-U-B-E-N-I-N-G-B-E-R. Or you can let me know via the show Twitter feed at Hold a Pencil. Uh, and I'll speak to you all next week. Bye.